Hello, hello, and welcome to Review 2. This week we're Review 2-ing Naughty's B-Sides. This packs one hell of a punch. It's such a good song. The Return of the Horizon. It's not the song's fault. Do you like it like mad? It's okay like mad. I'm sat here with a robot. Hello and welcome to another edition of Review 2. So this week we're going to be reviewing an album that myself and Johnny have put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, following the, the success of the 80s B-sides and the 90s B-sides episodes, we're now going to do the noughties B-sides. Now of course, as discussed in the last episode, because you 2 came into the noughties with the last best of, with songs like Beautiful Day and Electrical Storm. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of material to go off, really. There's only two albums worth, and things that came out in between. Um, so it is a bit of a hodgepodge of, of an episode, Yep. but I think what we've got now is actually a pretty good album, dare I say, a better listen, yeah. than certainly the 90s collection. Well, I was going to say, you say hodgepodge, I mean, those last two collections, um, definitely the 90s one, as we just said, um, but all I can say is those were spectacular dog's breakfasts of albums. There was, didn't seem to be any logic behind a lot of the decisions. And hopefully in this collection of songs that we've put together for this review, we've maybe tried to avoid you know, some of the weirder remix choices or we've tried to have a little bit of a chronology built in. But I don't know. It's This isn't necessarily what we would do if we made this CD. And this CD doesn't exist, so why is that? How come they never did a Best of the Noughties? And do you think they ever will, Tyler? Uh, I think no, uh, because U218 broke Mm. that stream of consciousness, if you will. I wish they'd have continued to do that that way, Mm. but I think U218, which we've never discussed... Yeah. Uh that was a collect a third collection of best ofs spanning the whole entire career up to 2006 or 2008. I don't know. It was a- around that time it came out in support of um the victims of Hurricane Katrina and I think that was 2006. Yeah, supporting um well, promoting Music Rising. Yeah, promoting that and obviously the single that they did with Green Day. Uh, which we may get round to reviewing at some point. It's not top of my list, to be honest. Don't think we need to review it. I think everybody <laughs> can guess where we stand on that one. Well, I liked it when it first came out. It was all right. And um, then there's Window in the Skies as well. Do you not think that since that point, Green Day's career seriously went downhill? Yeah, I don't think the two are linked, but yeah, definitely. I don't know. I don't know if it... I don't know if you two were a cool band to collaborate with at that point. Mm. And I think Green Day had been in the mainstream attention for about two years at that point, as in really big and not just a they had a just massive a big resurgence. Yeah, exactly. With the off the American Idiot, you know, kind of era going forward, they managed to relaunch themselves with a particular you know type of youth audience. And you two are not going to bring in any more of those kind of fans, so. Yeah, kind of weird. I think I think Green Day were riding high for a couple of years there, and then Bono walked in with his sexy boots and pretty much destroyed the hype for Green Day. 
I really don't think that's the case. I just think no one, no one who liked Green Day would really have paid that much of attention to it. But, I don't think, I and think, vice versa. When I was a teenager and I was growing up, Green Day were always this band that got talked about. There was, and particularly the first couple of albums, people were always talking about those albums. Yeah, and then got some classic albums, and that that remained to be the case through American Idiot, mm-hmm. right up until they did this thing with you too. And then I didn't hear anything about Green Day for years after that. And I'm assuming they still brought albums out. They had an ill-fated uh, trio of albums called uh, Uno, Dos, Tres, I think, or something like that, um, which were widely panned. And th- I don't know, uh, the the follow-up to American Idiot was apparently well-received, but I didn't personally like it. Mainly I hated the aesthetic to that album. It was all like weird weird fonts and stupid sort of like pseudo graffiti stuff well the key to a good album is in the font (laughs) so back to U218 that's 18 singles they did also bring out a DVD 18 videos Mm -hmm. it was the the best selling songs singles the most popular 16 plus two more other ones which are the you know Window in the Skies, Saints are Calling yeah, um, Saints coming, coming. Sorry, I, I, I have really. It's one of the most um, innocuous releases that you two have ever put out for me. That I, I just, I didn't think it was a big event. It's just their absolute, you know, the stuff that everyone would know. You know, beautiful day, pride, etc. So it, I wasn't that interested, really. Yeah, it's um, it was a bit strange, and they completely rehashed an already well-established song in the House of the Rising Sun. Yeah. Um, I can't say they improved upon it. And it also sits really oddly because that is the absolute most, you know, kind of popular U2 songs. I'm not saying it's the best, you know, because obviously we're fans who would make a best of that probably had very few singles necessarily. Um, But you put that Green Day song, yeah, it's a weird sort of, cover but not really a cover of the rising sun you put that next to classics like pride and beautiful day it does not hold up i I think it was just a business decision to bring Mm. that out it was okay who's big right now well you two always sell a lot of records and green day are the the, you know the the big act right now so let's just get those two to collaborate and and to be fair yeah i'm thinking of this artistically rather than for its actual the philanthropic goal of it which is great good i'm glad they did it and it worked out well for for both you two and well probably worked out well for billy joe and bono because bono always seems to be wanting to collaborate with the young hungry acts and and show an audience that he's still cool and still gets it and he's still hip and Mm. i can imagine you know someone ringing billy joe and going do you want to do a song with you two and he's like absolutely because he still looks like a teenage boy anyway (laughs) i can't can't imagine he's going to age very well I think he's already aging pretty well. I think that's what you that's what you've sort of pointed out. I mean, I think he is about forty or something like that. There is going to be a point where he's going grey or starts to sag in places, and <laughs> it's uh, it's not going to look good. Yeah, but punk's all about not caring about you know that sort of thing. Is it really punk though? It's a sort of punk. I think we are possibly rubbing a lot of people up the wrong way because there'll be a lot of people thinking what these guys are barely qualified to talk about you two and now they're talking about green day and they, we know much less about green day 
Or Billy Joel's age or sagginess. <laughs> right. And so the, the song we're talking about is uh, The Saints Are Coming. <laughs> Smart business decision, sold a lot of records, raised a lot of money for Music Rising yeah, and other charities connected to the Hurricane Katrina disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, We obviously don't think it's a very good song nope. and didn't need to be released, but it served a purpose and that's fine. Yeah, good. Um, what do you think about Window in the Skies? I like Window in the Skies, although I must admit I never kind of think, oh, I'm really in the mood to listen to Window in the Skies, unless I'm able to, you know, kind of watch it with other people and, you know, I've got YouTube on my TV so I can watch the really interesting music video. And I think that speaks volumes. I care more about the music video and the kind of tribute to all the past acts than the song itself. It's got a nice melodic hook, but... You know, I think a lot of. I'm not sad that it's not on an album. You know, but does that give you any insight into what a an album by you two produced by Rick Rubin would have sounded like? Well, the thing is, no, because Johnny Cash's work with Rick Rubin, it it got dis, it got distinctly different from his other stuff. Obviously, the the bare elements were there, his voice and the guitar. You're but, on about the American series, yeah, with Johnny Cash. Yeah, exactly. It seemed like there was a turning point in the sound you know and you can tell there was a definite difference and Rubin who was having that influence and there were certain choices that were being made that were fundamentally changing that Johnny Cash sound and the presentation of it um Winner in the Skies to me sounds like a U2 song produced by pretty much any of the other producers if you'd if you'd not told me Rubin had done it if you'd said oh it was I don't know Eno and Lanois I would have been like oh yeah fine yeah you see I, I think it does sound different in what way? I, I think it's much more traditional in the sense of a it's like a Beatles record. Okay. It, it sounds I when I first heard it, uh, I I seem to remember thinking that this is a song Bono had been wanted wanting to write, or this is a, a sound that they'd been wanting to recreate. Knowing how much of a fan Bono is of the Beatles, mm. I I just felt like there was a sense of accomplishment in that song. And I do like I do like the song. I don't listen to it half as much as as maybe you know I could do, mm. uh, but I I do think it's an interesting song. What the hell is it about? Uh, intergalactic real estate. <laughs> Window in the skies. I mean, I, I'm sure if I got into the song and went through all the lyrics, then I could put something together. It's like, oh, that's an interesting meaning, or, and I'm sure lots of people have done that, but it doesn't jump out to me as a song that is begging for, you know, dissection and discussion and analysis, really. It it was nice. I mean, I don't think it's the kind of song that would have sold an album. It's not a lead single. No. But I think it's a nice addition to the U2 canon. But my problem is, at this stage, I think U2 have paid the dues enough that they don't need to do nice anymore. I want them to do experimental and hard and interesting. They've, They've paid the dues enough right they've done enough nice stuff and enough safe stuff and that's what i was sad about with uh dismantle how to dismantle an atomic bomb because i thought it was all going to be like love and peace but it's not going to be like that because you two know they're, they're a company it's an organization uh it's a money-making machine and they're not going to be allowed to do that they they mm. need to sell records they need to sell out arenas Maybe the band themselves don't need to do it for any personal gratification, but investors in Live Nation—that's what, 
that's what you two are now. But that's the, uh, well, they're fine. an investment. If that's a sad reality, then it is. But I also think if the band really wanted to do something, it's their choice ultimately. And I would rather than put out something. I mean, I'm see. I think Invisible is is even a lot more interesting and dynamic than Window in the Skies. And I'd rather them do just anything that's a little bit less safe. And Window in the Skies is very, very safe, although it does sound nice. And I, 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 there are elements of the band that I remembered from Pop and Act and Baby. There's a hungriness there that I know is still present in the band. And that's what I want to see on Songs of Experience. Will I get it? Probably not. <laughs> um, but that's we can maybe shelve that conversation for our Songs of Expectations chat. Yes. More of which are none. Well, I'm pretty sure the audience know exactly what I want now. They could do that episode themselves. Um, but back to the point of the U218 singles discussion, would you rather have had the the best of of the next 10 years to go alongside the 80s best of and the 90s best of? Yeah, I think it would have been a bit neater and it would have been more interesting and... I mean, selecting all these these sixteen most popular singles, the the singles that I've got most bored of, you know, I've and it's not it's not the song's fault. It's just they get played that often. That's what happens. Hmm. Um, the only good thing that I think came out of that whole era really was the uh, U2 by U2 book, which I assume was launched around the same time because it had the same photographs yeah. and things like that. And that book is brilliant and is really interesting. And I'm sure. Um, Fans have been able to, you know, tell that we've been dipping into that at various points for quotes and interest. Yeah. So I'm, I was happy with that. But yeah, I would, I would rather have a properly compiled um, 2000 uh, to 2010 best of with B sides. Now you probably have a problem with that because of the the dating, don't you? So should we go over this sort of controversy of dating? I have a huge problem with it. Yeah. Okay. If, if they if they had brought it out and they said 2000 to 2010, oh, that's a lie. For a start, because you've already given us two, you know, you've given us a quarter of that time anyway, mm. with um, Electrical Storm and Hands That Build America and everything off all that you can't leave behind. I would much have preferred a 90s best of, which focused on Actung, Zuropa, and Pop, and then left all that you can't leave behind, How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb, mm. and dare I say it, No Line on the Horizon, <laughs> as the next. You know, selection of songs. It would have been neater, definitely, and those... and it would have been really interesting to find out which songs from No Line on the Horizon they could justify putting on a best of. Co- they would have collection. had to put boots on. I don't. <sighs> it was a lead single. You see, I'm getting angry to... now. It's something they've not done <laughs> because I think that you're right. I think they would put it, put that on. Yeah, no, they would have to. But there you go, right? That's so. That's why we're here. That's why we've put together this collection of songs. And this is a collect as a collection of songs. I I I think what I'm going to do for this is I'm going to put together a YouTube playlist on the Review to YouTube account, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna I'm gonna link this up in the episode description, and then you, the listener, can go away and actually listen to this collection of songs as a collection of songs because I think this is really. It's a really strong collection of songs com- compared to the t- previous two albums we've just reviewed. Yeah, there is. I think we've got more logic in this collection. And I also want to just say as a disclaimer, 
obviously lots of people have done this before. We're not claiming to be pioneers here. And we have, you know, had a look around on the internet at various people saying, oh, maybe you should put that together. I think there's actually something pretty similar to what you're describing on YouTube where they've put it together, but they've done it in a different way with that YouTube playlist. So yeah, fair enough. Um, so yeah, some, some of these songs you may not have heard before. Some of these songs, you, you know, you will have to go on onto YouTube and find, but I'm guessing if you're listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. then you've probably, you've probably heard most of the songs we're going to talk about. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them are rarities, but they're all really good songs. So, uh, Hmm. Are all of them really good songs? Part of the reason I compiled... It's a really good album, if you want to view it that way. Well, part of the reason some of these were, ch- were chosen, I think, is so we can talk about the weaker sides of things as well. But I think it'll be a good, interesting discussion. Yeah. So, I think without further ado, it's time to go track by track. So, from innocence to experience, you're not going to have to wait forever because we're about to review to the 2002 to 2010 best of B-Sides. Okay, we're not going to elevate, we're going to levitate. Wingardium Leviosa! (laughs) Um, So this is Levitate. Quite chilled, although it does have quite a lot of... um, This is kind of a a weird collage of a song, in in quite a good way. Because I'm saying that it's chilled, because it starts off in this sort of steady way, this nice electronic kind of backbone through the song. But then later on when I'm thinking about it, you know, you've got a lot of the bands sort of like almost chanting, Edge throwing quite a lot at it. Um, the drums halfway through sound a bit like pop, you know, when the when Larry gets like sort of breakdown. And then later on, it sounds a bit like All That You Can't Leave Behind, you know, when there's sort of like, um, when the, there's almost that sort of uh, smoke clearing kind of bit where you've got this sort of more electronic sort of sounds during yeah. the midsection. So this feels like a perfect bridge, a perfect bridge between the pop era and the "all that you can't leave behind" era. And I mean, a lot of the lyrics are from different bits of um, U2's career as well. So I'm not going. I'm not going down. Obviously gone. Yeah. Did you recognise that being in there? I didn't. I didn't get gone. Uh, I didn't get pop that strongly at all. Oh really? Zoo Roper. Uh, yeah, I really, I, I was really thinking of Zeropa quite a lot when, when this was on to a point where I didn't know which period it was from. Well, I think this is one of those songs that's been around in some form for a long time, and it has broken down into lots of different songs. So, the I'm not, I'm not coming down. Um, obviously gone, and then later on we've got the whole freedom has a scent like the top of a newborn baby's head. Great lyric, <laughs> um, and then yeah so i mean it's it feels like a song that's been it's been hanging around for a while what do you do you like it overall though it it does it feels like a sketch to me uh it doesn't feel finished um and i think that's why it's never really it's not even a b-side it's never seen a release like that it was released as part of the itunes the complete u2 collection in 2004 which would have been preloaded onto the u2 ipod And then it was re- released as a fan club only release for medium rare and unreleased. So it's never had an A side or a B side release. So we've already broken our, our rules. Yeah, track away. one. We've um, we're just as bad as you two at doing this. That's fine. At least we'll, there'll be some logic behind what we're doing as well, though. I, I think this is the kind of song that's just been released 
um, in collections like the Complete U2, so that fans feel like they are getting a more rounded idea of the band. Yeah, I don't think it's an example of any brilliance. Uh, it reminded me of Summer Rain and Always quite a lot. How does it remind you of Summer Rain? The bass line is very similar. Hmm. Have you heard Summer Rain? Have you heard Summer Rain, though? Because <laughs> it, it's it's that breezy acoustic song that sounds nothing like Always. I I I in in my head they're very similar. But they're not. <laughs> that isn't any song. Yeah, it is. It's Summer Rain. Listeners join in at home. <laughs> Alright, okay, fine. Um I still don't think that sounds like Levitate, but um if you this is almost like seeing though, if you went into an artist's sketch you know, right room at the back and and you had an unfinished sort of draft, and then you realise that there were three details that would be in that. Can I just interrupt? Yeah, go on. Uh Love You Like Mad is where I think the baseline is the same. As Summer Rain. Okay. But Levitate does remind me of Summer Rain. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, I, I can't... I, I, I'm just confirming your your opinion that there's a lot of different ideas going around. Yeah, fair time. enough. So it's so it's it's basically a hodgepodge in a way. And it's fine. And it's what they left behind. If you've ever wondered what is not included in all that you can't leave behind, apparently this song... <laughs> This song was left behind. Um, it's okay. It's interesting, but it's not. Hmm. It's not a great example of um, an unreleased classic. Love you like mad. Okay, so speaking of uncomfortable vocals, this is "Love You Like Mad." Um, this song feels very two-dimensional in its construction. Um, I'm Have I that... mentioned that the bass line is very similar <laughs> to that of Summer Rain? Uh, yes, you did do. Ah. And I still don't get that either, but anyway, let's let's move on from this uh, Summer Rain debacle. Um, what, what do you think of this? Um, it sounds like an early attempt at Beautiful Day. Mm. In a lot of places. It's not exact. It's not we're going to hear later on some early versions of songs. Uh, so it's not exact, but I just think they were trying to write a song like Beautiful Day with what? this song. Particularly Bono and his melodies and the kind of lyrics he's singing. It's a fleshing out of ideas. But the thing is, all the ideas here seem very, well, quite cliche, to be honest. Now, I guess it's mean to to pick on these songs because they weren't presented as, you know, this is the best material. So, um, it's not fair to just say, "Oh, isn't this bad?" But no, I don't think we're being down on it. It's just, we're just—it's interesting to be able to look at these things, and but I can—I know why it wasn't released. It, it, but I, I cherish the idea of being able to listen to this stuff. Oh yeah, definitely. But in this particular occasion, you know, talk about pain, feeling good, that kind of thing. It's—it's it's sort of rock and roll by numbers, though, isn't it? Really, the pain never felt so good, you know, and it feels very overblown. Just these sort of big emotions being grasped at that like you said in beautiful day they actually managed to attain that and you two are one of the few groups that can you know they can strive for that and occasionally they'll hit it this is just a bit of a miss really um and bono's voice sounds terrible on this 
Yeah, like a lot of the songs on this collection are, are very unpolished. Which is fine. Again, yeah. you, they wouldn't have spent that many you know, takes in this studio comparative to something that they know is going to be on an actual record. And Bono is getting older as well, and his voice is changing at this particular point. But he sounded way better a lot more recently than this, you know. I think Bono would have... Uh, I mentioned this on another track as well. I think when Bono knows it's not going to a final take, mm. there's a lack of conviction in his voice and a lack of commitment to the yeah. song. Because like, if you're practicing the song, you don't need to be hitting all the notes. You know, that's you just need a map there of where your voice is going to go. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it, it's not a great song. My favourite thing about it is the title. <laughs> I, I like the idea of a track called Love You Like Mad. Mm. I think it's a very British thing to say. Uh, well, well, maybe, because it's... Maybe sort of... our transatlantic uh, listeners can dispute that. But I, I think it's... To say you love something like mad, I think that's a very British phrase. But if this was a song that took that well-known phrase and sort of took it apart and looked at the duality between love and going, you know, and feeling a bit crazy about someone, then that would be interesting. But this is not that. It isn't that. No, it's not. <laughs> I like the guitar. Wait, do I, I'm actually saying that. Do I like the guitar? I think you'll, you like me like the like being able to listen to it. Yeah, it, it's good to listen to it whether you like it or not. Uh, do you like it like mad? It's okay, like mad. On a scale of hate it like mad to love it like mad, whereabouts are you? I'm apathetic like mad. Right. I'm interested like mad. Flower Child. Now this is where this particular collection gets pretty good in my opinion. I love all of the little touches... Um, that make this song a little bit different. The kind of, I don't even know how you would ex- explain it, but you know, the sort of boo, 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 sort of sound that's in there, you know, at the, at the start. There's a really stodgy, Beatlesy kind of acoustic chug, which I think works really, really well. And I'm going to open some old debates here, Tyler, um, or rather ongoing debates. Again, this is a similar but better style of song than Wild Honey. And I would take Wild Honey off and put this on. I knew you were going to say this. <laughs> I knew it. Right. I've put in this song, could have been as good as Wild Honey if they worked at it. And that's genuine. Okay. That's, that's, that's a genuine feeling. I think this song could have been as good as Wild Honey. Not better, but uh, certainly as good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I could tell... That this was from all that you can't leave behind. Certainly, the, that those types of sessions. It's a lovely little love song, uh, and I normally love the sound of Bono's voice struggling. Uh, you know, when he's struggling to hit the notes and you know trying to put that passion. In, but he doesn't seem to be singing with with any conviction again. But it's laid back. Yeah, I, it I is. The difference it between, is laid back between no conviction and laid back, and that kind of works with the with the bass as well, which is really cool and moody. Yeah, the sci-fi type synth is really, really good. Which, uh, which bit's that bit? Th- there is a, a bit of synth in there. I'm not going to do an impression of it. I mean, I tried that at the start of this uh, track review. and Yeah, I think less terrible. impressions of instruments would be a good idea. I will never stop doing my bad impressions of instruments. <laughs> um, but did you get the feeling that this song just won't end? 
it, it could have been shorter. Fair enough. Um, but no, no, I, I like it. I like, I like the kind of um, when everything falls back out again and there's it's really quiet. I think you two very rarely do that, where you've just got, um, you know, just Ed sort of, you know, using the guitar percussively, and everything's kind of a bit quiet, and then the song starts up again. It feels like they could do this on the street and busk it, and it would sound really good. I prefer all three of the songs we've just reviewed when I'm listen when I listen to them on their own. Mm-hmm. For some reason, going through and listening to them, you know, one by one just seem to elongate the process a little bit. So maybe it's good that, you know, they're not on an album together because that did make it unenjoyable for me. But I really do like the three songs separately. If I was just going to listen to Flower Child or listen to Levitate or Love You Like Mad, then I I prefer them a lot more. I think where these songs sort of shine is where if you've got your um, MP3 player of choice and you have it on shuffle and you just go on U2 and you just, you know, walk down the road and then, oh, you go through some of the more well-known stuff and then something like this comes in and you're like, oh, I remember this. I put this on a few years ago. This is really cool and interesting. But yeah, sitting down and listening through all of these can be a little bit of a chore, I guess. So I hope you're enjoying doing that at home if, if that's the way you're listening to it. Um, what do you think of the title? Flower Child. Um, sort of sings of of the 60s and like yeah, good hippies, vibes, man. That kind of thing. Um, Which I don't know if the song has necessarily got that feel to it, really. No, it doesn't. I mean, you think of like classic hippie tracks and you're thinking uh, of uh, like San Francisco. What's the song? And if you're going to San Francisco, that one. Okay, like that's that's a really, and I I forgot who who sang that, and I I, I listened to that song quite a lot. But anyway, uh, that's a really nice hippie kind of kind of track. Yeah, and if you go onto YouTube, there's always videos of them playing that at festivals, and people are sat down at festivals, and I love that idea. Don't you wish you could go and watch a band and sit down instead of like having to stand up? I like standing up. That's why we're Wait a minute! This brings me to a very good point about our U two tickets. <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought you were, I thought that's what you were trying to do. No, no, it just, it just reminded my anger that you refused to sit down at a gig. It's if you want to get the live experience, then you've got to be standing, and we enjoyed standing at the Innocence and Experience tour. Did we? I did. We had a, a big a woman with a big nose stood behind us, going, "Oh, I don't know this song. I don't know this song." <laughs> Went with any song that came out past 1985. Well, might, sorry, love, but why did you buy a she ticket? She might have been... A, Big Nose is irrelevant. B, the Cockney accent's irrelevant. C... It is, but that's the accent she had. Fine. C, if we were sat down, she could have been behind us. But she, it, for some reason, it wouldn't have been so annoying. I would have had my own personal space. You could you could walk away. Whereas if you sat down, you sat down. That's I can't just walk away, walk away, because I might not be able to see. Okay, I'm not eight foot tall like you. <laughs> well, I think this is actually possibly one of the things where I'll say fur cop. I am a lot taller than you, therefore I can see better at standing gigs. Oh, well done for having height. No, no, no. I'm you agree- must have worked really hard for I'm that. I'm agreeing with you. I'm saying I see that that must be a pain, right? So next time we watch you two, after this one, we'll sit down. 
Well, you're saying that. I hope this makes the cut because you're saying that live on Earth. All right, so. okay. I'll say this. You can definitely sit down and maybe I'll go up and stand with the other um, seven foot tall people. How the hell did we get onto this? Uh, I don't know. Flower Child, I asked you if the title's any good. Um, Not really. I don't like it. <laughs> Track four on this collection is Native Son. Personally, I really like this. This is mm-hmm. an early version, or at least an alternative version, to Vertigo. The similar themes of displacement, much like Vertigo has, uh, with the idea of the guy sat in the club, yep. feeling like he's not, you know, it's not his type type of place, and feeling like he belongs somewhere else. And I, I think those ideas are carried over in in Native Son, and not feeling at home in your native land anymore. Uh, I, it was one big problem I have with this song, although I do generally like it, and that's when Bono hits that big free towards the end of the song. And it reminds mm. me of the, that 90s dance track, Everybody's Free to Feel Good. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I don't like that song. I think that's kind of a comedically bad song, even though it still gets played quite widely. Yeah. So it's not a song I wanted to be reminded of while listening to Native Son. Because otherwise, it was a really enjoyable experience. I've yeah, I've never made that connection between the two songs, but thanks for that because now I will do forever. It's it sounds really similar. No, it does. It... I completely agree with you. I've just never put you know I've never drawn those particular dots uh, you know together. Yeah, I've got free here and then pretty incredible performance from Bono there. So I I thought that was a highlight of it, but I do see what you're saying there. I enjoy this more than Vertigo at least now. I, I don't know if that that hmm. that can be the case all the way through. It's very difficult because it it would be very interesting to sort of step into an alternate reality where it was Vertigo that we were we were talking about now and Native Son was actually the one that made the cut. I always feel like this is sort of the cooler, older brother of Vertigo, whereas Vertigo is younger and a bit dafter, to be frank. Um, and that's because, I guess, this song is about a much more serious issue and doesn't have the tongue-in-cheek kind of, you know... Um, qualities that vertigo has you know the whole uh, catorze factor um so in terms of context this song is about a uh native american rights activist called uh leonard or leonard i don't know which one it is uh peltier and we don't really need to go into a huge amount um about this he was imprisoned i have no idea whether you know it seems to be that people are campaigning for him to be released um but I don't know enough about the case. And frankly, the Wikipedia and all the other kind of articles surrounding this were very long and very complex. And this was kind of where the the seed of the song was. We'll put a link in the description. You can well, find just, out for yourself. I just think if I, if I start saying, release this guy or don't release this guy, either way, someone will be like, well, you don't really know what you're talking about, which is true. But yeah, what you were saying before about um, feeling that sense of dislocation and particularly about... Um, officers shooting you know shooting people um for particular reasons and there being a lot of violence that would have made this song a lot more resonant considering that um you know the amount of police violence that it seems to be escalated particularly against black and minority people that's it would only make the song um i don't know weightier i guess but it sounds pretty amazing to be honest i've always thought this has a bit more energy than vertigo in a lot of ways yeah i agree with that but the main thing, and we did talk about this originally, the main reason that this was shelved in favour of Vertigo was because Bono didn't feel he could completely commit to it live, and Steve Lillywhite saw that when they were practising it. So, if that's the case, 
I'm glad they went with Vertigo because Bono seems to absolutely love Vertigo still. Which is a bit weird. I don't know how. I'm I'm completely bored of Vertigo. I, I really liked rediscovering this song so mm. so that I could enjoy that music again. Yeah. Um so yeah, I, I, at the moment I prefer Native Son. But I understand why Vertigo is a more commercially successful song. Yeah. I just think a it's... safer bet for a, an album starter. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of the things that I like about Native Son as well are purely Edgy's doing making different choices with the guitar, so instead of that focus just being on the riff of the there's the whole um you know that kind of thing in the background. Um and it just makes it a bit more textured than Vertigo perhaps. So yeah, I I really like this, and at the moment I would rather listen to this version than than Vertigo. Agreed, motion passed. Are you gonna wait forever? This was on the Vertigo singles, and um, it's a very interesting song, and I feel very divided about it. It's got very distinctively Bomb-era guitars on it. Would you agree with that, Tyler? Uh, I don't think it's distinctively U2, and I don't think it's distinctively Bomb-era. I think it's from a different decade and reminiscent of another band. Which would be? Um... I might just make you wait. What? 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 For? <laughs> Forever. Okay, <laughs> but tell me now who the band is. Uh, the nineties uh, Oasis. Yeah, but I but I think that the the types of guitar and the kind of sound that would be that was being used around this era by by Edge does actually sound a little bit Oasisy, and it I think. It, He's making some of the same kind of choice, like semi-acoustic, um, semi-electronic guitars that he's using here. Um, it sounds a little bit like Holy Joe as well, sort of dirgy at the start. Yeah, Starts off really well, I think, and I actually quite like the stacking up of the guitars. There's a big wall of sound. Edge is doing some really cool licks in the verses, and generally there's not that um, counterpoint that we've got Bono saying, you know, He's going to sing, and then Angel like answer with his guitar. So that's nice. Undeniably, this packs one hell of a punch. I think. Well, especially considering it was insanely loud when you just put it on for us to listen to, <laughs> and nearly blew my ears out. No, it it is. It packs. It packs a huge punch. I don't remember ever. I don't remember it being like that when I listened to it. Mm. Um, but at that point, I really liked Vertigo. So, but I can't see why I wouldn't have listened to this more. I think I will listen to it more now. Well, but my... I hadn't listened to this song in 12 years. <laughs> well, my answer to why you might not have listened to it more, and maybe just I can only answer from my perspective, is the chorus. The chorus is terrible. It's barely even a chorus, I would say, and it has the same problem as um, All Because of You, which it sounds a bit like. It has a very, a very disappointing chorus. It's lyrically lacking. In yes. all areas, I think. I think it's a very good song, but lyrically, I don't think Bono knew what to do with it or where to go with it. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, when, as we've said, you two sometimes trade in big ideas, particularly love, peace, you know, that kind of thing, war. But that's what happens a lot with the B-side material. They can't really take get an interesting perspective on those ideas. So this is just generally about, you know, seizing the moment. It should carpe diem, you know. Um, I mean, I'm looking through the lyrics now, and 
I just can't really find anything that stands out to me that isn't a little bit cliche, to be honest. And if this was written by, say, if I went to a pub and saw a 17-year-old band doing something like this, I'd think, wow, that's pretty accomplished, you know. But for you two, it just doesn't really make the grade. Guard the flame or better, leave it naked. Come on, Bono, that's just rubbish. Yeah, I think it is a sketch. And I think the, the fact that they couldn't put better lyrics to this or find better melodies in it. And I'm looking at you, Bono. Um, that's why it's a B-side. Yeah, exactly. Because, uh, you know, there's no way this could be on an album. No, not In what... this state. The music is great, but it's not It's not a complete U2 song. Three of them have done their homework and handed it in on time. <laughs> Bono has made us wait forever. Oh, Lord, have mercy on you, boy! So the song is <laughs> that we're doing? Mercy! Sorry, listeners. Um, this is an absolute gem. And this is one I've been looking forward to talking about for quite a while. What do you think, Tyler? Uh, I, I, you say what you're going to say about the song. Okay, cool. Um, this is absolutely quintessential U2. Um, so Blender Magazine called Mercy a six and a half minute outpouring of U2 at its most uninhibitedly U2-ish or something similar. And I remember reading that and thinking, great, I can't wait to hear this. And I think that was before Bomb came out. And I was waiting for this song to turn up. And obviously, it didn't turn up on there. And I don't really understand what... Maybe the song wasn't finished. And this is difficult as well, because Mercy exists in the kind of low-quality, longer version, which I think it was um, leaked at some point and then ended up on, on the internet. And then there's the quote-unquote more official version which was a live recording so we don't really have a definitive version of this song i think the wide awake in europe version is regarded as the released version yeah it's it's certainly more official but the thing is we don't know because the other one was done in a studio we don't really know what the eventual shape of this song will be if it ever turns up so my first question to you would be do you think this needs to be on songs of experience I would say, yes, I really think it should be, and I want it to be on there. No, I don't think it should be on Songs of Experience. <gasps> but yes, I think it should be released in some form. There should be a version of this song which is out there, and it's you know that that's the official version. Mm-hmm. Um, but a song that's been around now for what must be bordering on ten years needs. I, I don't know. It just. It, I, I'd I'd feel ripped off if this was then on an album. But what if it... I mean, the thing is, I said I want it to be on Songs of Experience. Obviously, I've no idea what Songs of Experience is going to sound like, so that might be a totally stupid inclusion. But if it fit with the themes of the album... A hidden track, maybe. Like Invisible should have been on uh, Songs of Innocence. Well, it was. No, it wasn't. It's on the... It's not on the first CD. It's on one of them. Yeah, but that's not the official CD. Right, okay. <laughs> that's the distinction that matters. Uh, some weird bootleg that I managed to buy from HMV then. No, this you've got it. It's on the second track the second CD of the second of the oh, God's sake. It's on the second <laughs> CD of the special edition after some other songs. So if you go to go to a, a, a music store, yeah. Or go and visit one online and you order 
the official version of that album. Which version? The deluxe. The version. deluxe version, which is a, which is an official version. Yeah, but it's still not like just like um, Ground Beneath Her Feet is technically not on All You Can't Leave Behind. I think he's splitting hers. Well, yeah, and I'm, I imagine fans will be pulling their hair out listening to this conversation. <laughs> so we'll we'll shelve that for a second. Talk more about Mercy then. Um, I, I mean, I I really want this song to have its day. It's it seems like one of the b- biggest missed opportunities. It's never going to be a single now because it's been around too long and it won't sell. Okay. Um, and I I think people would would like me feel cheapened if. If it, if they put it onto an album, unless it's drastically different, mm. unless it's drastically different, and that would be a problem in itself as well, wouldn't please many people, would it? It might please me because I have have always felt that this song does feel incomplete. It doesn't feel as worked on as as maybe it could could be. Mm, I think I think it's as, and I th- I think that there's two versions that I'm really familiar with of this song, two different sets of lyrics, and I like them both, and I like the music. I just think it needs condensing and tightening a little bit in places. Well, I think the Wide Awake version is about as tight as it's going to get, to be honest. I think that works very well. Um, and this is, as we were saying before, you two often stretch for those big abstract concepts. I mean, Bono often has a chorus where he's you know, screaming love, basically, or something like that, as in this case. I think this is where they actually managed to grasp it, and that's me talking about A, a live version, and B, the low-quality, you know, far too long version, the six-minute version. That definitely needs to be condensed. So maybe maybe it's just this is just a missed opportunity, and it should have been on Bomb. I mean, I would have put this on um, and taken one step closer off um, Bomb any day of the week. I believe when it leaked, there'd been a drought of U2 Hmm. material for a while. So it was pretty big, and it did get played, and people did hear about it. But because of that, and because of how widespread the leak was, I just think any marketability this song had has has, has gone, because it was given away for free. And at that point, U2 weren't in the business of giving the music away for free. But let's not look at this purely from the bit. I know exactly what you're saying. That it, it it would have earlier possibly been a contender for a single. But if this just turned up, say track eight on um, Songs of Experience in a really crisply recorded version, which is similar to the shorter version, I'm going to be excited. I I would really like it as long as it's. But then it's got something to live up to now. I'd like a finished version. Yeah, and I would I would like to hear a finished version. So it may, if it is on Songs of Experience, I do expect it to be largely a more complete track, where mm. everything feels tighter and the production quality is much higher. And the, the production quality is high. I'm not saying it's not you know it's not a good song. It's a really good song, and I really enjoy listening to it. But I I think it needs to just go somewhere else and be a little bit different. I mean, what do you what do you get that this song's about? Because for me, it does seem. A romantic song at its heart, but a kind of epic romance, and that I mean, I guess it possibly might overindulge in the being, you know, the 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 cliche of I'm a zero and you're everything, you know, that kind of relationship where if it really was that one-sided, then it would never even function. If he is weed killer and she's sugar, um, but then I I I, I the melody's so good in it that I don't, I almost don't care. It's such a good song. Yeah, it, it's and I enjoy singing along to it. Uh, I love that line. Um, 
you want to kill me and I want to die were the perfect match, you and I. Mm. I just I think everybody's been in relationships like that. Maybe it's not a sustainable relationship, but everyone's everyone's experienced that. And maybe the, what's not being talked about here is the entire relationship as an aggregate. It's more the extreme moments in a relationship where you yeah, feel it's like that. with or without you in in that that sense. Yeah, exactly. And I think it could be this could be like a you know a modern successor. In that I'm just way. laughing at the idea like with or without you being played at weddings. I'm laughing at the idea of people at a wedding singing along to. <laughs> You want to kill me and I want to die <laughs> were the perfect match, you and I. And, and having complete ignorance of, of, of the lyrics. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it would be good if yeah, it was a first dance song and they use props. So when it's like, I'm weed killer, <laughs> the bottle of weed killer comes out and then there's a... Fill. Ruining that wedding dress. And then a little packet of sugar. <laughs> this packet, this animate pack of sugar is popping up in every episode. Back, so isn't it? We should make it the mascot of Review 2. Um... um one thing I do like about the long version, and this is really, um, you know, a, a little, a small detail, but Bono does a kind of whoop at the end. He does this sort of cry. Can you remember that? I mean, no. Okay. I mean, it's something that will pass most people by. His singing isn't obviously as polished as it would be if they were properly releasing it, but that's one of the things that I, I'm sad is lost in the shorter version. Um, there's a couple of just vocal phrases which seem very spontaneous. And that's maybe what they would have to do if they brought this song out again. Make it, keep it fresh. Don't play it a hundred times in the studio. Just try and get a nice feel to it. Um, you know, like a live feel to inject some passion into it. Um, yeah. Get, the, get Redanka to do a remix of it and I think it's it's done. Mm, no, I think... It's difficult because if they did release it, then maybe that's part of its charm that's lost. I think this is considered in the same in the similar way to um, Three Sunrises and Love Comes Tumbling and maybe Walk to the Water. It sort of it holds a special place in your in a fan's heart because it isn't on an album, you know. And you can always go, oh, it should have been on the album if only they'd done that, you know. So maybe that was part of the magic would be broken there. But I want to see this live as well. I want to see this song live. Yeah, I'd like to see it live as well. Smile. This has a quite interesting um, guitar motif, and it's not usual that the guitar um, melody and the kind of you know vocal melody would be so tight. You two don't generally do that that much, um, but they do here. And I, I would I kind of expect this to maybe pop up in another song, maybe in a more contemporary song these days. They might might recycle it perhaps um, because it is good. But I don't particularly like this song, and I—it's a bit of a mystery. It's a mystery to me, to be honest. Um, I don't want to see you smile. Is it about not wanting? I don't know. What is this? What is this about? What do you think? Uh, I don't like it either. I—I—I um, I, I, I was similarly trying to think of when you don't want to see someone smile, and my mind automatically went to when you've broken up with someone. Mm. And you dread that they're happy, you know, and you're not. Um, you want them to be either in the same place or worse off than you, as horrible <laughs> as that sounds. Yeah, uh, everyone wants to feel like they've won a breakup. Uh, so th- that that's the kind of ideas I I was thinking about. But I, I've, the the only interpretations I can kind of get of this song seem well, not the only, but the ones that I seem to have come across online seem to be more of a theological, you know, kind of persuasion. And we have these lines where he's saying, God knows it, knows it, knows it, knows it. 
Uh, I sound like I'm saying move it, move it, you know, that stupid song. God knows it, knows it, knows it. Yeah. God knows it, knows it, knows it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you sing Hear Me Love, Sing It Again, Going Out Blind. These kind of, it seems like there's some sort of troubled, fractious relationship with um, the Almighty here. But I can't, I can't make sense of it, to be honest. It might be unfair, but possibly... It's just one of those things where they've thought, hmm, what, how can we make this a more interesting, less uh, cliched song? You know, I don't want to see you smile. Yeah, you have to think, oh, that's a bit of a inversion. But does it add up to anything? I don't know. Yeah, um, I I can... I get that this is from the, the era of Atomic Bomb. But if this was on the album, I think the album would have been drastically different. Uh, is it is it possible for one song to change a whole album? Yeah, look at your reaction to um, Boots on uh, No Line on the Horizon. I think with or without Boots, it's... Uh... <laughs> with or without Boots. <laughs> with or without Boots, uh, it's still a pretty shoddy attempt. Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think small changes. I mean, I think I think Bomb would go up for me several places out of ten if they took off as I said, if he took off one step closer, which is just a dull song and put Mercy on, a good version of Mercy. It'd be interesting to find out how close this actually got to being on the record because the production quality on this song Very high. He's really high compared to a lot of the songs we've reviewed on this collection so far. And I will say Bono does forever you know, for whatever I'm saying about not being able to work out what the song means, Bono does sound good on this. And it sounds like he's actually paying attention to the song. Whereas I think he probably uh, sleepwalk through some of the earlier tracks that we were talking about. She's a mystery to me. Originally performed by Roy Orbison in 1989, the song was written by Bono and The Edge and presented to Roy Orbison when he turned up at one of the Wembley shows and took you two by surprise. Hmm. Um... So this this song was originally released in 1989, a time when Roy Orbison had been enjoying a career resurgence. Roy Orbison had been famous in the in the 50s and the 60s, but his career kind of fizzled out, and I think he got involved in a lot of drugs. I don't think that's any secret. Uh, so by the time the 80s came around and people were getting interested in his music again. Uh, Roy Orbison felt very lucky to be given a second chance at stardom, and pretty much worked him worked his you know himself to the grave. I, I think he even a couple of days before he died, he he was performing and he was you know heading off to do videos for the Traveling Wil- Wilburys and things like that. Um, so this song is a, a really interesting song, and it comes at a really interest, interesting time for Roy Orbison, and just a few years before he died, actually. Um, and it's an interesting version for Bono and The Edge particularly to sing because this is a song that a lot of people don't associate with them. It's a song a lot of people associate with Roy Orbison, but it is mm. it is Bono and, and The Edge's song. Yeah, and I think they were kicking it around as, you know, it began its life as a U2 song. You know, it was it was going to be considered as that. But I think they're absolutely right. I think this is far more... They just happen to write a Roy Orbison song, and I think it takes a lot of humility, not a trait commonly associated with either U2 or Bono, to um, to give it over and to say, this is a kind of melody that will work better with someone of your particular 
generation in terms of rock music and i think it really does work better um i actually prefer the roy orbison version as well i listen to that um i think that's a complete version though yeah. isn't it this is a this a, is a live, live yeah. a live version uh brooklyn bridge um in terms of the composition of this song you uh, bono started writing this song when he was he couldn't sleep on the joshua tree tour so he ended up listening to roy orbison's in dreams just on repeat he'd just stay up at night and listen to it on repeat and then uh he woke up one morning and just wrote this song mm. and uh with that you know all going around in his head so that's that's where the song came from uh it wasn't really worked on in any great measure but he would have obviously taken it to the axeman edge and and then they presented it to roy orbison and roy orbison loved the song and i think the album that this this track is on is called Mystery Girl. Yeah. So it, it was it was a gift, and I think it's a really good song. It's a really good Roy Orbison song, and I think this is a nice version. But we criticised you too on the last two episodes of putting uh, putting non U two songs on here. Mm. And this uh, ticks two boxes. This is a cover technically, and um, an A side. And not a U2 song. It's mm. a Bono and Edge song. Oh, God. That is very much splitting hers. I, I don't know. I think I think it's in the same category as Passengers. No, no, no. Because Passengers was... U2 plus Pavarotti and Eno. And Eno. And I think Harry B, wasn't he in that as well? Yeah. So... And, and uh, wasn't there a Japanese guy? I think there were a lot of contributors to that. And also... The thing is, Passengers was them purposefully putting aside a particular image to have that artistic freedom to make, to be frank, weird songs in a lot of ways. And I still want to do Passengers at some point um, in the future, although I don't know if anyone will be listening by that point still. Um, so, so would you have this on our theoretical best of or not? I mean, you two break the rules all the time with the B-sides rules, so why can't we? Well, I think that's why I'm happy for it to be in, in this collection. And I think it is a very good song. But mm. um, if we're talking strict U2 songs, then no, it shouldn't be. But if, if we're going to do what the band have done, and I see no reason why we shouldn't, mm. uh, I think this is a more cohesive collection of songs. Yeah. Then, yeah, let's let's keep it on. What's also nice, I suppose, is say this were theoretically released, it won't be, probably, Um I mean, you know, any version of this I don't think will ever come out. And, and even if they do, I don't think they'll be consulting us. No, they definitely will not be doing. But I mean, my phone is is, is always on the hook, so they can call me at any time. Yeah, I wouldn't be waiting too long for that. Um, but I think what would be nice is if they did do this kind of thing, someone who had picked up this best of they might be into Roy Orbison and not even be aware of that kind of link, you know. So I think it's nice in that respect. Um, and it, Or it might get people who don't know about Roy Orbison into it in the same way that you two got me into Johnny Cash, you know, from The Wanderer, that kind of thing. Um, this works well, this live version, as a tribute. It's very endearing how uh, right at the end Bono says, I don't really know how to finish this song. And then the song just sort of goes and finishes, you know. I like that. At a gig, I particularly like that spontaneity yeah and that kind of humility it's, it's, i think you two are very good at not always being necessarily that polished you know and it comes very good at well. being in front of an audience yeah exactly they're always comfortable there 
So now we move into the No Line on the Horizon kind of era, and we've got Soon. This was the walk-on music um, that was used in the 360 tour to kind of introduce the band. And I remember hearing... You, do you not remember this, T? I was just stretching, sorry. Oh, okay, sorry. I thought you were looking at me quizzically with a sceptical eye. No! Okay, <laughs> you have a nice stretch. Yep. <laughs> so, I remember hearing you know, soon being played. And it did have this kind of um, ethereal quality, very beautiful kind of um, Eastern scales being used here, which is possibly the kind of thing that we might have received. What? what? It's not a best. It's not a best of song, is it? I like I like soon. It's really good. It was played why the band walk, walked on stage and played on the DVD menu. But it could have been an opener for No Line on the Horizon. It's pretty bad. What? It is pretty bad. It sounds okay, but then the the vocals come in and it just it's comically bad. <laughs> it's like I Vinny, who you who the audience will remember from the Rattling Hum podcast. Uh-huh. Uh I when I was doing my research he was here. Yeah. And I just put that on and he laughed when the vocals came in. So What what's laughable about the vocals? It's cuz it's just they just it's just silly. It comes across as being silly, and I don't know how you're supposed to take this serious. They're your not, skin not... is meant to crackle with anticipation because soon something will be happening. <laughs> soon, soon, yeah. It's just, it's not. They're not David Barry. I think David Barry could have pulled something like that off. I think they pulled it off. I mean, I think this it's... works really well. It was great for live, and I think this should be. Um, if we reimagine Enloth. Uh, with all the caveats that we said about it before, I think this could have been a contender for an interesting opening song. Reimagine it not being in existence. <laughs> no line on the horizon two, the return of the horizon, starring Bono, <laughs> The Edge. Well, Laurie's been in film, so that kind of makes sense. Uh, Who's Adam? Oh, thanks. There we go. Here he is. He turned up late. Um, Anyway, the question that obviously stands out for this, No Line on the Horizon 2, uh, which was released as part of the Get on the Boot Get on Your Boots single, do you think this is a better or worse version than the version that they chose for the album? Well, uh, in terms of uh, a timeline, this song would have come out before the album, so this would have been the first version that anybody heard. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that is a very good point actually. Um so imagine my disappointment when I put the album version on. Because hmm. this is much better. Uh, it's a much better version. It doesn't feel as awkward as the album version feels. I just can't get on board with the album version. Uh, and for my full musings on that track, go to the No Land on the Horizon review. Um, this is It's much more convincing. Um, I still think the chorus is lame. The, the chorus... the they're just a the series of nerds. It's so so dull. It just it breaks up the it's song subtle. in a horrible way. It's subtle. It's not subtle. It's crap. <laughs> um, the rest of the song fits together a lot better. Uh, Bono comes across as being a little bit eccentric in the song, um, and I'd like to hear this version live. Why is this not on the album? Um, because I think that the version that they chose for the album version, they chose wisely, okay, like Indiana Jones, and they put the right version on. Because 
that version is more grand. It's got a much bigger kind of uh, canvas to work with. Whereas this feels jumpier. And that whole bass, you know, rolling back, that makes a big difference. You know, the you know, whereas that was terrible. But the other one feels like a spaceship is landing or we're setting out on an incredible adventure across the horizon. Whereas this is more like in a club and kind of it's kind of quirky. There's that that kind of thing, which is frankly not of this era and a bit silly. It sounds a bit well, it sounds like bad act on baby era for me. That that sort of bit. Um, the aspects that I like about this, the start's better. The only thing I don't like about No Line on the Horizon One is the fact that the the sound at the start is kind of a bit the rubbish as a feedback sound. It's sort of Whereas this starts off with that sort of thing. <laughs> I told you I was going to carry on with my bad uh, instrumentation this week. So you really don't think that this is as good as... No, nope. I'm the flip side to you, um, interestingly enough. I like the chants, and that reminds me of it live. I think you're quite interested. You will give a, a track a lot of leeway for being an interesting piece of art. <laughs> what the hell else other like, criteria are we going by? I, I like songs that make me feel certain emotions. Are you calling me a robot, sir? I think I am, yeah. You like repetitive music. Your favourite bit about the about Mercy was the binary reference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are a robot. I'm sat here with a robot. You finally, finally cracked it. No, th- I, I like No Line the Rise and the other one because I think it's got a more solemn... I, look, I mentioned the Lion King on the review for that song, right? I feel like it's impressive. Whereas when this song finishes, I feel like I've just been at a kid's party. No! Line! I feel it's too, it's too quirky. I like that I've got this version for when I'm in a different kind of mood, but the other one has this just this gravity to it, you know? We finally find something I like about No Line on the Horizon <laughs> and you... Ah, fine. Next track. Winter. Now, this is one of the most interesting offcuts from No Line on the Horizon. Um, it was initially written for the 2009 film Brothers, and I haven't seen that film, full disclosure, and I don't think that matters really, to be honest. Have you seen it? No. Okay. Is it still in the, in, in the film? The, the, the song. song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's It was part of it, and there is a whole other mix. So I don't know which version you've listened to um, for this, because there is a longer and a shorter version. I've listened to the one from Linear. Right, good. Okay, because that's the one that I would like to discuss as well. Um, so... They were writing uh, music specifically for this film. And there was some umming and ahhing about whether it was going to be White as Snow, which was going to feature on the actual on the actual film. And um, they are both generally about uh, experiences of soldiers in Afghanistan. Now, that's all I can really say because I haven't seen the film. But I've always liked this song. And I don't really think... Um, you need to have seen the film to kind of get this song or for it to have an emotional impact. And as someone who is not a robot, I did have a nice emotional reaction to this song. And I think it's really interesting that a line like Summer Sings in Me No More, that might be about the disillusionment of a soldier who has, you know, started out with idealistic goals and then seen the horror um, that Afghanistan became. But Bono singing Summer Sings in Me No More in this amazing, I think a really amazing uh, take that he got that stirs a lot in me because it's you two not dealing in cliches, but dealing in the fact that 
yeah, maybe actually some part of the spark in Bono's life has gone. That's just getting older, you know. He's maturing, sure, but his summer is over. He's definitely in the autumn of his of his life. Do you not like this song, Tyler? You seem very grave. I love this song. Oh, cool. uh, I think it's one of the best things from that whole No Line period. Good. Um, the one thing I don't like is uh, I'm going to talk about the, the film Linear, which is the companion film to No Line on the Horizon. If you bought the deluxe edition, you will have that. Um, it's by Anton, Anton Corbine. Corbine? Corbin? I, I think it, we're going to be here a while if we try and get the exact pronunciation right. Yeah. Anyway, by that guy. <laughs> you two's longtime photographer yeah. and the photographer of Depeche Mode. And he's amazing as well. Yeah, he's, he's a fantastic artist. But in that film, uh, Winter is in there because Winter was originally supposed to be on the album and then they later took it off. Uh, therefore, the version that we have of Winter it's just a lesser version because the production quality isn't as high. Uh, and I, I really feel like if they'd have finished Winter, like they finished the rest of the songs, yeah. quote unquote, then they would have, <laughs> it it would have been a, a real highlight and it's a real tragedy that Winter didn't get to be finished to the point that it, it could have been. I completely agree. I mean, you can tell, even though, as I was saying, I think Bono does a good job on there. It is obviously something that could be polished up um, you can tell that right from the start, but there is some there's some lovely instrumentation at the start um, of this. You know the quite simple, almost Viva La Vida chords. You know the dum 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 dum. dum. Yeah. I think that possibly might have been a reason why it didn't make the cut as well, because people might have reacted. Because obviously that song was huge. Do you think people might have drawn the comparison? I didn't draw the comparison, mm. and I'm very aware of Viva La Vida. Mm. Um, like I know that exists. Yeah, yeah. If you were thinking I was someone that didn't know that song existed, then you'd be wrong because I know that that exists. Dead wrong. Are we are we clear on that? We're very clear. Yeah, go on. <laughs> so knowing full well that Viva La Vida exists, I've been able to listen to Winter up until this point. Jesus, how long is this point? <laughs> and not compare. Yeah. The, the songs. Two. We're not getting paid by the minute, you know. <laughs> We're not getting paid? Exactly. So this is this is such a better song, in my opinion, than White as Snow, which the two beg for comparison because they were both considered for being on, on the brothers soundtrack. Um I think it fits better given with the given the whole I've said this a lot of times and people might know what the hell I'm talking about, but I feel No Line on the Horizon is quite an icy record. It's got a certain feel to it and a certain edge and a glistening quality that I think this would fit really well with Cedars of Lebanon and some of the other great songs on there if it was yeah, given a bit more of a polish. Um, one line that I think I would definitely get rid of. Um, so we've got, it's hot as hell, we're like butter on toast, but there's no army in this world that can fight a ghost. Now, Tyler, what part of that line do you think I don't like? Toast? Yes. We're like butter on toast. Seemingly only in there as a placeholder, so Bono can then rhyme it with the word ghost later. And I think the line's good. But come on, we're like butter on toast. Yeah, it describes being hot as hell, but it does not inspire me very much. I think I could write a better song called Shoes on Toast. Yeah, maybe so. Ah, uh, sir, uh, get on your boots. Do you want to handle this? I'm just going to go and 
get a cup of tea? No, because it's not Get On Your Boots as we know it. It's not the classic that appeared on uh, No Line on the Horizon, but a rather different form. The Justice remix. Now, um, I'm going to read what Pitchfork said about this particular track. We don't re- really do lots of quotes from other sources, but... You told them to sod off a couple of, a couple of episodes well, ago. Well, they can sod right back for a second. Um, this Justice redo doesn't work for you too. Justice or anyone familiar with you two, Justice or music. Did anyone ask for more sexy boots? If the first try went for big black leather and got green neon crocs, this revamp gives us bedazzled ne- neon green crocs. Okay, so what do you think? Do you agree with that, Tyler? Or has this song reached its full potential? Pitchfork, sod off. Uh, this is... This is a remarkable improvement on the original version. Oh, good. I thought you'd go the other way. Uh, no, it is a remarkable improvement on the other version. Uh, if if it had been released like this, um, it might have been a hit. It, it might have been a hit. Mm. Uh, I was pre- preparing to hate this track, um, uh, you know, just by association and everything I think of the, the, the album version and the single version. But the piano in this really makes the track its own. Yeah. You've got a lot of different elements going on, but that when that piano keeps coming back in, like that's really, it's really interesting and and kind of comforting to listen to. You want to find out where that melody is going to go. Yeah. Um. So no, I I do like this, and I think I'm not that I'm ever going to like be a a flag bearer for this song in general. Yeah. But if I do ever want to listen to this song again, I think this is probably going to be the version I come to. Because there's nothing awkward in the in this track at all. Uh, it's there's nothing downright cr- cringeworthy about this about this song. It's a pretty it's a pretty good version. Um, unfortunately, I think I am too far gone down the track of hating. Get on your boots to ever really appreciate how good this track might be. Yeah, maybe. Um, I think it's interesting that you brought up the. Um you know, whether this is uncomfortable or there's anything cringeworthy about this, because I think what they do here is they they take Boots, which ne- the irony of Boots and its kind of playfulness never really fully came across, I don't think. But this version, where they've turned everything up to 11, that kind of irritating, pseudo-sexy, quote-unquote, aspect that they were going for in the original, I think here it becomes a lot more glamorous and glitzy and dancey and it just makes the song more fun and that's what I think the song needed to be really so I'm not saying this is sort of a definitive better version, I'm not saying this should have been on No Line on the Horizon I mean we're going to talk about this more in the next track but it just seems like every song on this album, the best, the better versions are the versions they didn't release it's almost as if No Line on the Horizon, no Line on the Horizon is the collection of B-sides and then you had to go and look for the the A sides on on various other releases. I don't even know where this was released. I don't have it in my collection. Um, no, I can't remember what it was either. Um, I think I, I mean I remember hearing this a long time afterwards, um, the first time because I remember distinctly sticking it on and thinking, oh look, there's a book, there's a Boots remix. I'll listen to that, and just I, I remember laughing and smiling because I thought, wow, they've really gone for it here. Mm. they've really taken the song apart and put it back together and given it a unique kind of identity which is what you should be doing if you're doing remixes not doing a big yam remix where you don't really do anything 
See last episode. Uh, yeah, I I really like this version, um, and I'm, I am going to try and listen to it a, a bit over the next couple of days. Mm. But uh, you have to understand, from my opinion, if you, if it's got "Get on Your Boots" written on it, I've I've had nearly a decade of just trying to get as far away from it as possible. But I do like this track, and I think it's a much more palatable version. Okay, so this is where it might get a little bit confusing, because if we were imagining up this album, we would have one of the remixes of I Know I'll Go Crazy If I Don't Go Crazy Tonight. There are a lot of very good remixes of this song, so much so that I would say I am much more drawn towards pretty much any of the other versions than the single version. Single version sounds okay, as we said, but it's very sunny, and there's just so much in terms of groove left underneath the song that has been exploited fully on these remixes. Would you agree with that? Yeah, the uh, the single version is so vanilla. It really is. That That's yeah, perfect way of describing it. It's okay, but it's not exciting. It's like they did the bare minimum that they needed to do for that track. I just think it's a bit confused, really. I think, I mean, I don't want to have a go at Will I Am, but I think the production involvement and him trying to make... I think maybe you two thought this could be the single that really you know, got through to people and we get them played on the radio a lot. And yeah, it does have a big melody, but not for me. I, I want all the all these interesting versions. So this might be a bit confusing, but we're going to go through some of the versions which which you would have got if you got the Crazy Tonight single. Yeah, the remix single. Yeah, which is a very nice package. I don't have this, and I've got Tyler's version in my hand. It's really cool. Um, so we'll start with the Fish Out of Water remix. Um what do you think of that, Tyler? I really like it. Yeah, it's great. I, it? I do really like it. Like, I, I'm clearly very into remixes, um, and the Fish Out of Water remix is really good. Not my favourite on this collection, but a, a good remix. It's a little bit, it's a little bit too slow for me, to be honest. And but I do like the sort of almost video game style additional sound effects that are in there. Yeah, it sort of sounds a bit eight bit in in places, which is pretty cool. But I just I want it faster. I can certainly imagine that there being a time where I want to listen to that version. Mm. And these are all, if you don't have the single, these are all on YouTube, I think. You can probably find them. Yeah, there's a million and one uh, remixes of this track now. Yeah. Which 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 says something about it, to be honest. So we'll go next to the Dirty South full remix. Personally, my least favourite on, on that CD. Um, so that wouldn't be my choice to go on to our best of b-sides uh what don't you like about it um it's not it's bad because i think i don't think there's a, a bad remix on this cd yeah I, I just think there are others that i prefer and i prefer them all to that one okay sure so we'll move now to the uh, kick the darkness vocal version personally my favorite and i think the most uh true to the the, the version they would have played at 360 yeah uh, it's obviously extended and got you know darker elements to it, but I I I got the least bored. <laughs> <laughs> what a recommendation! L- listening to that track. No, I, I mean I was very very happy and enthralled through both of the the Redanka remixes. That's yeah. the Redanka Kick the Darkness remix, isn't it? The the first one. Uh, the first one that I said was the Dirty South full remix, and now we're talking about Kick the Darkness. Yeah, the Redanka Kick the Darkness remix. Yeah, th- yeah, that is uh, that's my favourite. It's the most true to the the one that was played at three sixty. Yeah, and I think we've, as we probably said before, that's really where we want to see this song go. 
Um, That's really where I wanted to see that stage go. Yeah, yeah, it works so well for that, and they really fully exploited the stage there. Um, and this is just there's so much interesting um, guitar tone and groove to this. It's got everything. It's got the kind of grimy bits, and it's got the edge kind of you know the bass takes notes. precedence in yeah. in that version, and I think that that's such a strong bass line to have front and center. But then it opens out in the chorus as well, and you've got oh, yeah. all the edge stuff. So. I think we're both very happy with that version um, in our respective, you know, kind of fandoms. Um, and then we've got the Sparks of Light dub version. This is the second Redanka mix. <sighs> this is confusing, isn't it? Um... Um, but yes, it's the Sparks of uh, Sparks of Light remix. Also very good, but it's more of a dub kind of record. It's a lot more chilled out, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like it. I, I have put this on when I've been trying to think of something that would just chill me out. and uh, I... I've... When I was listening to this, it made me think of a very specific spot. Now, I think I've talked in the past about how music can put you in a certain mood or being in a certain mood can make you want to listen to a certain type of music. Mm-hmm. Listening to that song made me want to be in a certain place. And it's a uh, rooftop house bar in Turkey that I've, I've been to a couple of times um, on holiday. And it's just a lo- this lovely white... Painted like wood, uh, wood uh, painted white mm. bar, like veranda thing, and they've always got a DJ on the decks, just having really nice chilled out, yeah, uh, tunes playing, uh, and you can just sit there on a lovely sun- sunny day, watch the people on the beach, the the para- paragliders and all that, and I really want to be in that bar. Uh, I suppose now I'd be drinking a, a glass of water <laughs> instead of a cocktail or something, but um, I really want to see that. Hmm. I really want to witness that and feel that. So, Well, they they could. I mean, they were going for possibly that kind of thing with this with this this album with um with no line, and maybe that would have been the way to weave in the sort of the day and the night of this album, and you know, make it focused on those kind of Eastern, you know. Turkish, Moroccan influence styles, you know. Well, could... you know, you know, written in Fez, and so I suppose it's not too far away, and they would have been indulging in this kind of thing. But it just feels amongst like they others. Never, but they never went full tilt with it, and I think that's. I mean, they, I guess they didn't go full before. tilt with anything on this record. That's the problem. Yeah. Afterwards, like you see, you can see how heavy this this collection of remixes is. Mm. Um, they really went for that, and they went obviously went for it with "Get on Your Boots" with the Justice remix. Yeah. So it's like they found the direction, but it was too late because everybody else had got off the U two bus at that point. Yeah, and it's uh, night and day the, the single version on here, and then all the remixes. So yeah, yeah they offer so much more. So uh, if you had your way, which would you put onto our best of B sides? Um. I think I would probably put the. Um, let me just have a look. I think it would probably be the Kick the Darkness one. I think it's it's the closest to how I feel that song could have been realised. I wouldn't want a version this long on the album, you know, but maybe a four minute version, cut down a bit, but still with that groove, still with that grime and yeah. the glamour. Be amazing. I mean, it's seven minutes long. Both Redanka versions are seven minutes long. But they disappear. Honestly, you do yeah. not realize how quick those versions pass by. Uh, out from doing the research for this show, <laughs> so glad I rediscovered that CD. 
to think that I've had that CD in my collection for eight years and not listen to it every day hurts me a little bit. Yeah, I might steal this. You won't. <laughs> Neon lights. So it's no secret that I'm a big Kraftwerk fan, so I was very happy to see you two do this. It's interesting, though, because this is a bit more groovy and a bit more soulful, um, which some people might say kind of misses the point of the original song, whereas Kraftwerk always did things very much, you know, metronomically, we might say. Um, But they're making it their own, and I think they've done an excellent job here. The only thing that I think I might have changed is... And I don't know why I have this idea. Maybe it's because of my perception of Edge or the fact that I like him a lot. Um, you know, my, my perception that he might be sort of a night owl and he's a lot more close to the way Kraftwerk might work. But it would have been cool to see an Edge vocal on this rather than a Bono vocal. Bono's vocals are very warm here and that's great. And it feels like, yeah, he brings out the warmth of that, you know, looking at the lights of the city. But I would have loved to hear just Edge do this. I'm glad it's Bono. I'm glad it's a U2, a full band yeah, version. I'm probably wrong, actually. Um, I think there's a right and a wrong way to do covers. And I think when we were doing the 80s B-sides and they did Unchained Melody and Everlasting Love, those were pretty straight down the line. Uh, maybe Everlasting Love was a bit rockier. Hmm. Uh, but with this, I feel like the U2 performed Neon Lights as if it was a U2 song. I don't think they were trying too desperately to be loyal to the memory of of Kraftwerk and to the the original version. Um, My favourite collection of covers is by Tangerine Dream. Uh, They Mm. have an album called Undercover. Uh, And and they just have a collection of songs from old artists and new artists, and they cover them as if they had written them themselves and as if they were putting out Tangerine Dreams uh, Tangerine Dreams music. Yeah. And I feel you two have done the same thing with Neon Light, and that's what makes it such a good uh, alternative version. Because mm. uh, it's not trying to rip off Kraftwerk. I know Coldplay, uh, at a similar time to when this came out, they did Talk, mm. uh, and there was a Kraftwerk riff in there, and they, they really got panned for for using that, even though the Kraftwerk had given yeah, consent to use it. Yeah. So I think you 2 may have been aware of that and therefore decided to just do the song as if you 2 were doing it and almost strip away any essence of Kraftwerk, if, if, you, if you can conceive of that. No, I know what you mean. I mean, it's as I was saying, Kraftwerk have a particular feel to them. And part of the, the joy and the charm of listening to Kraftwerk is that it does feel so robotic at times, you know, it feels, and that's what's great about watching them live because when you do see them look over at each other, or maybe there's a sort of, you know, shake to the shoulders when you can tell they're getting into it. It's like that you're seeing the robot taking its first steps into full consciousness. You know, that's what I love about craft work, but you two couldn't do that. It'd be a weird ripoff if they came out and were, you know, beep booping. Larry could, (laughs) (laughs) Larry could do that. Well, he's on time with his drumming. That's that's definitely true. Um, so that would fit in with it. It also, it just seems to be the right time for them to release this as well because it was part of the um, 
as far as I know, the uh, how to dismantle an atomic bomb kind of era, and it fits in really well with City of Blinding Lights. So I think it it just fits in nicely to that kind of palette that they were working with in that particular time. I I think it, it it's um these the collection of songs we've talked about uh maybe that maybe they're not the best maybe they you know they're just examples of where they went throughout the decade yeah um but i think it's it's nice that we started at vertigo or around that time songs they were more like elevation kind of era weren't we well yeah but we've come back now to the vertigo single which this which neon lights was on and it seems to be a good example of what the band have been up to in what was really quite a troubled decade for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, where direction wasn't always, you know, at the forefront of the band's mind and that Bono was getting distracted with political issues. And I think for the first time, the, the, the emphasis wasn't on writing new music. Uh, yeah. But I think this is a, a good example of what you two have been getting up to mm. in between a side releases yeah and they i think they pretty much knock it out of the park really um this is one occasion where i notice adam a great deal because he has he adds that something like that not present in that kind of way in the original <laughs> did you did you feel yourself transported to the song though yeah i think adam came across really well in this hmm um, there's no surprise from the Adam applauder over here. Well, Edge always puts in a shift, so it's just interesting sometimes when I notice that Clayton's actually doing something interesting. Every every week you have to a dig at Clayton. What are you going to do if Adam Adam is the member of the band we end up sat here with? Because, well, A, ain't going to be any of the band that we're going to be sat with, and B, Adam is such a gentleman. He's the jazz man. He's the gent. He He wouldn't be, he wouldn't be bothered. He knows I'm only... Joshin. Okay, so there we have it. That was our edition. That was Review 2's edition of the best of B-sides for 2002 to 2010. Hmm. Johnny, overall thoughts? I think this is a really interesting collection of songs. Um, I think it's kind of sad that they went down the route of the... um, the 18 route rather than doing something like this personally i think it would have been good but yeah for the reasons you brought up before the fact there was kind of an overlap which you know that was the decision that they took maybe this would have been a bit of a barren collection as a best of um the b-sides are what they are they are sketches some of them more finished than others as we've kind of indicated all the way through and i would want to stress you know again we do actually really like (laughs) you too it's just when you have to criticize something We've been through all the uh, all the wheat, and now we're kind of at the chaff stage. The chaff is interesting, but it's often just not wheaty enough. <laughs> so there we go. Um, so uh, in in terms of what we normally do, hmm. is this an album or is it a flipping album? Uh, <laughs> it's it's. A I'm f- aware that, it, that, that, that this is a fabrication. Yeah, it's a flipping collection of stuff. Um, <laughs> I don't know how cohesive it is. If I was really going to um, think about it. I might have changed the order around a little bit to see how it works as a collection of songs. We've tended to stick pretty much chronologically yeah. speaking. Um, other people have included other things online. Some people have included Tower of Song or the absolutely awful version of One Done With Mary J. Blige. Um, That's an A-side and we're going to get to that eventually. Oh, goody. 
Yeah, that that'll be in the best of the rest episode. But I think it's wise to leave that a, a while before. I'm happy to leave it in perpetuity, to be honest. <laughs> um, so, would you say this is an album? I mean, I listened to this as a collection. I put the collection together, yeah, and did really enjoy it. Even though I was sitting there making my notes, mm. I really did enjoy listening to this, and I found a couple of really good songs which otherwise I would have forgotten about. Yeah, it would have been interesting to see um, how it would work as a collection. If you, I mean, so I would, if I was going to have it as a collection that wasn't just chronological, I would have begun with soon. I would still probably end with neon lights. You're shaking your head, but that's fine. <laughs> Um, it would have a darker section, I suppose, with the remixes or with things that are a little bit more upbeat, a rockier area, a bit of a chill-out zone. So it's a better collection, I think, than the other two um, B-Sides collections, in a, in a way. They Is really it? should have asked our opinion, shouldn't they? Well, oh well, that, we've, we've missed the opportunity, I suppose. If I was a, a fan who was younger and I, you know, if they had released this and I had this double CD, this hypothetical double CD, I think I'd like a lot of these songs. Maybe some of them I would have thought these should be on the albums rather than, you know, songs like uh, White Snow or um, Wild Honey. But we don't need to get into that argument yet again. Don't even try and bait me, honestly. (laughs) Right, so uh, with that said, uh, I think this is a a, a really good album. It could be a, a flipping album if it was ever released. But it is now time for everybody's favourite feature. Mm-hmm. Mm, the sweetest thing! <laughs> Who's that character? <laughs> Alright. Um, my sweetest thing from this collection probably be Flower Child, even though I really don't like the title. Wait, let me let, let me check what, which ones we've actually talked about. Do you want to say yours while I do that? Uh, okay. So, my favourite, no surprise really, is going to be the uh, I'll Go Crazy If I Don't Go Crazy Tonight remix, uh, which is the Radanka Kick the Darkness remix. Mercy. I've just realised it's obviously Mercy. Are you sure it's not Flower Child? Nope. <laughs> so now it's time for everybody's Dirty Day! Mine would probably be um, Are You Gonna Wait Forever? It's just a bit me. Soon for me. But at least soon does what it it does a particular it doesn't do anything. It does it it, it wets the appetite. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's terrible. Okay, fine. So we do hope you enjoyed this collection of songs that we uh, we stitched together uh, from 2002 to 2010. Um, maybe it wasn't the most enjoyable episode for you if you don't know the songs. Um, but hopefully you'll be able to find them and enjoy them from now on. Mm-hmm. We do want to say thank you once again for tuning in. Next week we'll be back with you for our Songs of Expectations episode where myself and Johnny will talk about everything we want to see from you two in the coming year. Yeah, and I guess we'll talk about, we'll make some predictions as well. So I think we're in a unique um, position here because we can actually say, I think this will be on Songs of Innocence or I think they'll do this on the Joshua Tree tour which we're going to go and see. So that'll be interesting because then we can you know, revisit that and say okay we were right about that, we were completely wrong about that and wow this is how the band have surprised us. And they I mean they keep surprising us so that's good. 
And also, I do just want to ask uh, you, the listener, a question. Uh, moving forward, what would you rather us do? Would you rather us uh, record an episode and then just upload it when it's ready? Or would you prefer us to stick to these seasons of roughly six episodes? Because oh, at the moment, we don't know what we're going to do. And I think we would both like to go away and... Dream it all up again. Do something else for a little bit, actually. <laughs> Although I, I do really want to do a, a live season. Yeah. But I think it might be better if we just do staggered episodes when, as and when they're ready. Well, as I said, we've got through the week, haven't we? I mean, we've yeah. got through all the albums. Some might argue we are clutching at straws by going through the B-sides, but I think the B-sides are where some of the most interesting you know, kind of bits of U2's music are. Whether we have conveyed that interest or not, is a different question, I suppose. But you know, so feel free to have your say. You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash review two to you. You can contact us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com forward slash review two. If you're a rebel type guy, you can email us at review two contact at gmail.com. Um, so yeah, please try and uh, find us any way you can. Tell us what you think and how would you like to listen to Review 2 in the future? And are there any other things that you think, oh, why don't you guys do that? You know, we've mentioned live, but are there any other directions? Do you want to hear a two-hour captive podcast? I don't want to make a two-hour captive podcast. So it'll be me on my own then. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, all that's left to say is thank you very much for tuning in and we'll see you next week. See you then. Hi there, thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch, please contact us on facebook.com forward slash review two to you or on soundcloud.com forward slash review two or search for the review two podcast on iTunes. You can also email us at review two contact at gmail.com. Please like, comment and subscribe. Thank you. Wingardium Leviosa. <laughs>